0: Welcome back to another episode of The Jacob Johnston Show. There's no programming notes or special announcements up front, so let's go ahead and dive on in. So predictably, yesterday, all the news coverage, all the articles, all of the news programming was all about Tuesday's election result. And it's always funny to see how it is, the media analysts and everyone tries to spin what happened so that no matter what happened, it all goes through and confirms that they were right, the analyst, and that they have the keys to success. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But first, I do want to say something about the Republican Party, and I'm noticing something interesting. Something has been changing. Now, whether it was a result of the Trump administration, which gave some Republicans a backbone, or if it's because we've gotten rid of so many of the old guard and gotten new people that seem to understand what is going on, that have more ability to stand up and fight back against the left. And as you know, we got the Let's Go Brandon that is going on and has no sign of letting up. And it's being embraced by some people in the Republican Party that you would never really expect it because they seem so uptight and so proper that they would never actually get in on the Let's Go Brandon. And then now we are seeing them on the campaign trail saying, let's go, Brandon, you know, such as Ted Cruz and videos with people or saying, let's go, Brandon, on the floor of the House or wearing let's go, Brandon masks. Well, now you have Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida calling it the Brandon administration. Yes. So he's not even calling it the Biden administration anymore. He's calling it the Brandon administration. Now, I know that if the phrase was left as F Joe Biden, that the Republicans wouldn't get in on it. It's too unprofessional. But the whole sanitizing of it to let's go, Brandon, which thanks ironically to the left wing media for giving us that sanitized phrase, let's go, Brandon, as they tried to cover up for the crowd that goes F Joe Biden, and allows for a lot of Republicans in elected office to be able to express the sentiment of the rest of the country without the unprofessional look of cursing on camera which by the way the media would have to bleep out or cut away from or you know whatever but by being able to sanitize it like this a lot of the republicans are able to now come out and say what the rest of the country is saying in the sanitized way and so i find it interesting now there are some people going off and saying that with Ron DeSantis coming out and calling it the Brandon administration, that it's an unofficial start to his 2024 campaign. Now, I have no idea whether Ron DeSantis is going to run. I'm sure there's some of that depends on if Trump is going to run. And I know if Trump runs, a bunch of anti Trump Republicans are going to try and run against them and they're going to lose. And so we see everyone trying to set up who is and isn't going to run in the 2024 election. And it's like, you know, we haven't even gotten to the 2022 midterms. Can we wait until we get past the midterms before we start talking about the 2024 election? And they're even coming out with polls right now. That says half of Republicans right leaning independents think Trump has best chance to win in 2024. Now, I don't disagree with this poll. You know, you take a look around and there's a lot of reasons Why a lot of people would think that Trump has the best chance to win. One is you take a look at Trump's first term, which was incredible. We had a booming economy. People's paychecks were increasing above inflation for the first time in decades, getting real wages. You saw minorities being lifted out of poverty. You saw the United States being respected once again on the world stage, where if we said jump, other countries asked how high. You know, we saw peace breaking out in the Middle East. We saw North Korea sit its ass down and call and shut up. You know, stop threatening the world. We've saw so many things. We saw illegal immigration drop down to its lowest levels in decades. And then we saw the most effective response to a global pandemic witnessed in world history and record-breaking time from outbreak to vaccine. Now, I know there's a lot of vaccine issues uh, that are going on right now as the left politicized the issue and people are now saying, no, 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 I'm not going to take the vaccine because you are trying to tell me that the government has the right to mandate I inject myself with something without knowing what's in it. It's not about informed choice or, you know, and then, you know, you have religious exemptions and all of that. But still, from breakout to vaccine, very incredible. It's just some people want to wait to see what the long-term effects are before taking it and we don't know what the long-term effects are. And so no one should be forced to take it. But the Democrats, they can't help but be authoritarian because that's their nature. So you see all of that. Then you take a look at the Biden administration, which has just been a complete and total dumpster fire. They have screwed up absolutely everything. They took the things that, and problems that Trump solved and screwed those up and made them problems again. And so, just taking a look at the contrast, you know, if Trump were to run again in 2024, Trump can go off and say, here's what it was like when I was president. Here were the results. Here's what I handed off to Biden. And here's what Biden did and screwed it all up. So, you got that nice contrast, something that we haven't had in a presidential race before, where somebody served one term, did really, really great, but due to a bunch of fraud, and gaslighting from the fake news, you know, lost. The other person comes in, screws everything up. And then the ability of the president who did really, really well and was very successful for the country, being able to come back and draw that comparison between his administration and his successor and go, hey, (laughs) we all know if you want to fix the country, what we needed to go back to. So you got that nice contrast. It's not, you know, Republican, Democrat, where, let's say, um, Ronald Reagan, you know, goes off and, you know, was really, really well, and then you get George H.W. Bush and he sucked. You know, it's not that, hey, you know, we had eight years of a Republican, eight years of a Democrat. Now, do we go back to eight years of a Republican? Will this next Republican be as good as the last Republican? So it takes away that uncertainty. And then when you throw on top of that, over half the country not believing that Biden is the constitutionally legitimate president, that the election was riffed with fraud and that our votes were overridden by fraud, you know, ballot stuffing, fraudulent votes, and all of that. We take a look at it being Trump's second term where he wouldn't have to worry about reelection. We also take a look at that and we go, well, you know, we take uh, Trump you know, wouldn't have to go for re-election. Therefore, he's going to go nuclear on the swamp. He's going to go after the people that engaged in election fraud. He's going to go after Dr. Fauci and those who funded the gain-of-function research and prosecute Fauci for lying under oath, perjury to Congress, you know, and that he has real motivation to go after the bureaucracy. That went off trying to sabotage and undermine his first uh, term administration. You know, so he has a lot of motivation to just completely go after the corruption and illegal activities of the Democrats, not having to worry about reelection or what anybody thinks. It's a personal motivation, but it would also be good for the country. On top of people or pissed off about all the election fraud that took place on top of the fact that people taking a look at Trump versus Biden and how much better things were under Trump. Well, is it any wonder that a lot of people think that Trump has the best chances of winning in 2024? Now, we all need to take a look at, you know, some other issues here. Plus, I guess I want to point out if you want to get rid of social media censorship and fix Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act. Well, <laughs> Trump seems to be someone who would be personally motivated to go after the tech companies for their censorship and fraudulent behaviors as well. And yes, I say fraudulent behavior because I say it is commun- uh, consumer fraud to claim to be a platform when acting as a publisher. So, with all of that, it would seem logically that Trump would be the best candidate in 2024 now what actually happens i don't know it depends on who's all running can we get someone who is you know you know would do even more than trump i don't know i know the media is going to go off and try and spin it you know they're going to do their normal attacks it doesn't really matter who runs the media is going to try and claim that person is toxic if someone gets the nomination other than trump the media is going to say that person is even worse than Trump. So you go off and you take a look at the claims of, well, you know, his tweets, his personality, none of that matters because the media is just going to make everyone look like that. The media is going to try and create that perception of everybody on the Republican side. Because according to the media, if you're a Republican, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist, and it doesn't matter what your policies are, that's it. Now, I'm not saying that Trump was a perfect communicator and didn't, you know, do some things that hurt his own position. Far from it. Yes, he did. And anybody who communicates directly to the people instead of having it filtered through a bunch of bureaucrats is likely to do that. What I'm saying here is that it's not nearly what the media made it out to be. And the media will make every Republican president out to be that. And every Republican president is always worse than the one before. Now, Sometimes that may be true, you know, that the succeeding Republican was worse than the previous one, but that's still far better than the best Democrat anymore. So, you know, if you're going off and you're thinking, well, we need someone with Trump's policies, but not his tweets, it doesn't matter. The media is going to treat it all the same. All right? And we also see here that a former Obama official, the Otto Czar, on inflation I mean, you take a look how the Democrats always use titles such as Czars, you know, as if they were in the Soviet Union. But they're going off, and he's going out there and talking about how Americans are losing purchasing power and are really unhappy about it. Yeah, think. I mean, we could go through and analyze so much about what happened on Tuesday. But you know, one analysis could always be that it's the economy stupid. It's the economy. We went from a great booming economy under Trump to complete crap under Biden where everyone is suffering financially. So yeah, the economy does play a big part because the economy does so much, you know, to us. It determines our ability to feed ourselves, to have food, you know, food yes, and shelter, utilities, being able to enjoy life. When the economy sucks, yeah, people tend to be unhappy about it when the government goes off on massive spending and as a result, inflation steals away our purchasing power, where we have to work longer, harder, multiple jobs just to afford the same standard of living as we did the previous year. Well, yeah, we tend to be very unhappy about that, but the Democrats, they never understand that. They think the government can just print an endless supply of money and that, you know, we here in the United States You know, it shouldn't have to be able to work at all. And the government could just print money and we can just buy everything we want and live in a life of paradise and luxury, never having to work a day in our life. And they think that that is somehow feasible. They don't understand on the left that it's the Democrats' policy and their massive spending that is causing all of their financial pains and trouble. Why do you think that $7 an hour went from being upper middle class, a great income that you could live very comfortably, go on vacations, and you know, all of that off of one income in the household, making seven dollars an hour to now two people who could work for the minimum wage of 725 or 750 an hour and be in poverty. Why do you think that happened? Inflation. But no one ever goes off and thinks about the secondary question, which is what's causing the inflation? And the media and the Democrats really don't want you asking that question. So it's interesting that there are a, a few people on the left that understands what is going on and just how bad the Democrats are looking. And You even have, what was it, Van Jones on CNN, you know, starting to do a little bit of a self-reflection going, hey, you know, maybe we on the left are the ones in the bubble, you know, and we're our news feeds are not giving us reality, you know, but just an echo chamber. And we may not know that outside of that echo chamber, the Democrats don't come off as good on the right side of history or anything like that, but are really, really hated. They come off as arrogant, disingenuous. They are insulting. They are... You know, incredibly, horribly racist. You know, so he starts trying to do a little bit of a self-reflection that the rest of the media won't do. But we know what's going on. Yeah, he'll he'll go off and give that side. But will that change how he goes about uh, reporting or how his media coverage of a particular event or issue? No, probably not. I mean, I, I mean, we can go off and talk about it how he, every so often, wakes up for about 10 seconds and then goes back into his mindless slumber of, oh, the Republican did something. Uh, It's racist. It really hurts my feelings. Uh, I gotta cry because it's so horribly racist. Uh, Well, what'd they do? Uh, I can't really explain or talk about it. It just really hurt my feelings. You know, he's an actor. You know, but every so often he pretends like he wakes up and has a moment of clarity or self reflection, but that moment will pass. I mean, you go through and you take a look at him today, and I'm sure he's back to completely oblivious and all in on the echo chamber. So, I mean, it, it just kind of goes to show that maybe some people on the left have the capacity to understand what is going on or just how bad the Democrat Party looks to everybody, as well as how bad their policies are. They just don't care. They don't care what we, the American people, want. They don't care how left-wing policies actually impact the American people, because Democrat policies are all about government control, about increasing government power. It's the ability to dictate to you in order to feed the ego of those in government, feeling they are superior and better than everyone, and those in the media who, because they're on TV, feel superior to everyone. Now, on the flip side, if you're a Republican, you're looking at Tuesday and you're going, yes, this is great. And you may be tempted to overhype what is going on here. I mean, I take a look at article titles, uh, such as from the Daily Wire, Republicans primed to comfortably take back Congress in 2022 after Democrats' election disaster. Okay, but if we were to go through and take a look at midterm elections, they're always bad for the incumbent in the White House. Whether that was Ronald Reagan who, you know, as a result of midterm elections didn't have favorable outcomes towards him, uh whether that was Bill Clinton, George W Bush, Obama's midterm results were horrible for him, or Trump. I mean, you go through and you take a look at all of that. Now, Getting a one term president is very rare. So, this could be election cycles that break norms or break historical patterns. Yes. But we also take a look at the amount of fraud it took for them to get Trump out of the White House. But we go through and we take a look at the House where the Democrats have the smallest of majorities. You know, what is it, uh, eight seats, 10 seats that they have as their majority? I mean, it doesn't really take a whole lot to disrupt the Democrats' majority in the House, given their slim majorities and how bad midterms are for the incumbent in the White House. And then we take a look at the Senate, where the Democrats' control is based off of the tie-breaking vote of the vice president. Otherwise, it's a 50-50 split. So we were always taking a look at 2022 and realizing that the House and the Senate are going to flip, because the Democrats' majorities are barely a majority and midterms are horrible for the incumbent in the White House. The only question is, how bad is it going to be? Are we going to go through and end up with super majorities of Republicans in the House, Senate, and state legislatures and governors? If that is the case, we can completely neutralize Biden in the White House I mean, I know the idea is that we want impeachment. We want to remove the entire Biden administration for the illegitimate frauds that they are and for all the crimes that they've already committed since taking office, or maybe even being prosecuted for all the crimes he committed as vice president. You know, but having a veto proof majority would be very helpful, you know, to repeal and remove. All of Biden's unlawful executive orders, such as the vaccine mandate. But we could also take advantage of that in order to get some constitutional amendments passed that would then be able to secure our country and neutralize the Democrats' ability to destroy our country. Things like uh, updating the Constitution to say anybody who crosses into the country illegally would be automatically denied asylum and must be deported immediately maybe some punishment for businesses that would knowingly hire a person illegally in the country, or maybe even update it so that the Democrats can't reinterpret the citizenship clause to make it so that, you know, make it very clear. I mean, it's already clear, I guess, that in order to be a born citizen, you have to at least have one person, one parent, who is a permanent legal resident of the United States, and then be born in our border. Now, the Democrats have reinterpreted that, so providing an amendment to make it crystal clear and make it so that the Democrats can't reinterpret it to, you know, anybody who crosses the border illegally and pops out a kid and that kid becomes a citizen, that is not what the Constitution says, but the Democrats have gone through to reinterpret it that way. So if we can get super majorities uh, in the House, the Senate, The state legislatures and the governorship, we can do a lot to undo the damage that Biden has done, completely nullify him uh, as president, maybe even impeach him, and then engage in some much needed updates to the Constitution in order to protect the country. Now, we also go through and we take a look at just how bad it was for the Democrats and why it is that Republicans are going off and celebrating. For instance, Republican truck driver who spent hundred and fifty-three dollars on campaign locked in tight race with New Jersey Democrat Senate President. The article reads: A Republican truck driver who reportedly spent next to nothing on his campaign is within spitting distance of ousting one of New Jersey's most powerful Democratic uh, politicians, Steve Sweeney. Democrat West uh, Dumford has been New Jersey's State President since. 2010 and has served in the state Senate since 2002, with 99.37% of precincts reporting in New Jersey's 3rd District. Sweeney trails Republican Edward Durr, a commercial truck driver who reportedly spent just $153 on his own campaign. Now, I get it. As a Republican, this is not only funny, but a sign of just how bad the Democrats are doing. I I haven't checked uh, any updates here since then just to see you know what the final outcome was but the fact that a republican truck driver only spending $153 even if he ends up losing comes this close to unseating a democrat in new jersey who's been serving in the state legislature since 2002 and is the senate president of that state legislature the fact that $153 gets him With, you know, anywhere close to winning in New Jersey just goes to show how bad and how unpopular the Democrats are. Yes, we can go through and we can talk about Virginia. We could talk about all of that. But this right here in New Jersey, $153 to unseat a longtime Democrat incumbent in a deep blue state. Wow no, I know there's a lot of people who can go off and overhype this and talk about the bellwethers for 2022. And I get that. And yeah, it's a positive sign. But wow. I mean, the Democrats have to be looking at this particular race and going, you know, maybe some of our ideas do suck, and maybe just calling everybody who disagrees with us on on policy or racist may not be the best idea and destroying people financially may not get us to winning election. Wow. So that is is quite the sign. Now, the Republicans are also going off and being emboldened by the election results, which is okay on one hand, but don't get so overconfident and cocky that you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory here. So after Democrats' election night disaster, GOP smells blood, and widens twenty twenty two target list, and so yeah, you know I get it that when you take a look at elections, you have limited resources, I mean, you don't have unlimited money, so you try to go off and target the the opponents that would be easiest to defeat, all right the ones that you think you can easily knock off and you know be to be able to take control of the Senate or take control of the house, but after Tuesday they're taking a look at this and they're saying wow look at all of this that is going on look how badly the democrats you know outcome was you know even democrats that were in deep blue areas that was a given that there was no way they could lose and they lost well that just means that more Democrats are vulnerable than we initially thought. And so now we're going to compete in those races as well. Now, on the one hand, I want to say you should be competing in every race, try and challenge every Democrat, no matter how blue or purple the area is. But I understand limited resources. So the fact that they're going off and they're seeing what is going on and expanding their list of what Democrats they think are vulnerable enough to go after is encouraging. But then you get into the article itself, and it goes on here and says the target list is a whopping 70 seats with 13 new targets being added. And this is the National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC. Just 70 seats? Really? That, that, that's all you're targeting? I mean, you go through and you take a look at the House, and you would figure that there would be more seats there. But between the House, and the Senate, they're figuring only 70 seats? <sighs> and that's and that's the widened list, the updated list with 13 new targets. I, I just thought and hoped that it would be a little more ambitious than that, just a little bit. You know, maybe, you know, for two-thirds supermajority in the House and supermajorities in the Senate, with a comfortable lead, I'd say you would want at least 70 seats in the Senate. You know, that way when you, get, you have, a, you know, some margin for the squish and the rhinos and a comfortable, you know, two-thirds plus an addition for all the rhinos in the House so that you can still get things done even though the rhinos will be out there voting against you. All right. Now, Joe Manchin, I, it is pretty horrible that we on the Republican side have to rely on a Democrat like Joe Manchin to stop and block the Democrats' toxic agenda for the country, along with Kristen Sinema. And we take a look at this, right? And right now, the reconciliation bill is being held up by Joe Manchin. And the Democrats are have been trying to apply a lot of pressure to Joe Manchin. And he's come out and said, no, I'm not going to vote for this, unless I'm able to fully see what's in it and how it's going to impact the country. Now, with Joe Manchin, he comes from a red state, and I've, I have a hard time figuring out how a red state elects a Democrat. But you know, whatever, you know, it, I guess it happens. And so we see Joe Manchin going out there, and he's been stalling. I'm guessing he was waiting to see what the result of the elections were. Before deciding which way to go, so he was stalling, not willing to commit to anything, kind of swinging back and forth, you know, just wanting to see how the election results came out. If the Democrats won and one-handedly, I'm sure Joe Manchin would have came out and supported the reconciliation, the Build Back Better, which is horribly named because it's not Build Back Better, it's destroy the country. He probably would have came out and supported. Now that he comes out and sees that the re- election results were Democrats had their asses handed to them, he's even less likely to support what is going on because he comes from a red state. He sees how unpopular Joe Biden and the Democrats are right now. And he still wants to be able to continue serving at some point. He doesn't want to have to, you know, worry about his future political career. Now I don't know when exactly he is up for Re-election, I would have to go through and, you know, really check that out. But what incentive does he have now to piss off all the voters in his own state, Decide with the Democrat? He doesn't. He can't even provide a justification of Tuesday's election result. So you go through and take a look at that, and he's coming out and talking about how no amount of pressure or harassment or whatever is going to force him to cast a vote in favor of the reconciliation bill that it must first meet with his approval or his standard or, you know, be written in such a way that he could support it. Now, we could also take a look at this that this has nothing to do with any moral stand or being a decent uh, Democrat, but instead realizing that, hey, he actually has a lot of power and authority to dictate what would go into a reconciliation bill just by refusing to vote for it until he gets what he wants. On the flip side, I believe it uh, is Christian Sinema, uh, her refusal to come out and support some of the Democrats' initiatives has resulted in the far left really going after and harassing, her, even to the point of not just following her into the bathroom, but now crashed and ruined her daughter's wedding. Think about that. Her daughter was getting married and a bunch of leftists showed up and decided they were going to ruin the wedding, trash the wedding, as payback for cinema not getting on board with the far-left agenda, the Reconciliation Bill, the Corrupt Politicians Act, and a few more. So they go off and they decide, the great idea here is we're going to destroy your daughter's wedding. Your daughter, which has nothing to do with this, but we're going to harass your entire family if you don't do this. Now, there's part of me here that is thinking, yes, yes, leftists, keep doing that, keep doing that. And here's why. Think about this. The Democrats' control of the Senate is based off of the uh, vice president's tie-breaking vote. Now, if the far left continues to massively harass Manchin and Cinema, right, just continue harassing them, dis- disrupting uh, not just their lives, but the lives of their families, what would happen with Manchin or Cinema, if just one of them got fed up with the far left, fed up with the toxic nature of the Democrat Party, and suddenly decided, you know what, I'm switching party affiliation. What would happen if Manchin or Cinema, just one of them, crossed over to the Republican Party, flipping the Senate into the one vote majority of the Republican? Hmm. Now, do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. I'm not Nostradamus. I have no special inside information, but I could just see or like to think about what that would mean if they actually did that, which would completely end the Biden administration altogether. Complete lame duck. And the more they harass Manchin and cinema, and the more the country continues to You know, revolt against the Biden administration and the Democrats, the more the polls show that over 70%, nearly two, nearly three-fourths of the country, saying that this country's headed in the wrong direction. As Biden's approval ratings continue to tank because of the disastrous job that he is doing, and you take that on top of the far left's unending harassment on mansion and on cinema that they may have. More and more incentive to cross over, to switch party affiliate. Hey, you know what? It is fun to think about that. I have no idea if it's ever going to happen, but uh, it is fun to think about. Now, when we go through and we take a look at Tuesday's election results even further, while the media, well, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, you know, the fake news media want to go off and tell you that, oh, the election results is a sign of a rise in racism and white supremacy, even though it was a diverse group of people who got elected. You know, they they want to go off and talk about the first black person who got elected to to this particular position in that state or this state, that state and whatever, only if it's a Democrat. Finding out that the first black lieutenant governor was elected in Virginia doesn't matter. That's still a sign of a rise in racism and white supremacy because, you know, you can always count on white supremacists to vote for black candidates and help black candidates win. I'm not sure how that logic works, but in left-wing media, that logic works. Or the first Hispanic attorney general, you, know, it, it, you get that in there, and somehow they always ignore the, uh, the first, you know, minority elected to this position if that minority is a Republican. But they'll proudly report it if that person was a Democrat to try and claim that the Democrat Party is the party of diversity and inclusion when really they're a bunch of hateful races. Now, they want to go off and spin that, but they want to ignore maybe some of the real issues that determine the outcome of the election, such as all the school board races. You know, we take a look at everything that has gone on in the schools now that parents had the opportunity to hear what the teachers were saying over Zoom from the schools being shut down as a result of the coronavirus, parents being outraged that their kids are being told to hate each other based off of the color of their skin, being told that the country is, I know, I know, I'm not going to edit out me dropping my pen, but anyways, being told that, that if you're of this skin color, you are guilty of anything anyone has ever done with your skin color, but. If you're of another skin color, you bear no responsibility for anything anybody else with your skin color has done. And pushing the transgender movement to the point where sexual assaults are being covered up by the school board, if the assaulter identifies as transgender or gender non-binary or part of the LGBTQ whatever community, you know, then seeing the school board cover that up or the school board telling parents, shut up, you have no say in how your kids are raised and the education they get. You know, you're not allowed to speak, trying to harass and intimidate parents, speaking out at school boards concerned over what the school is doing and teaching. And then you find out that the school boards, or at least the sc- schools and teachers, are doing things such as gender unicorn worksheets a questionnaire handed out by a teacher who found it as a teaching tool from the Trans Student Education Resource website, asked students in 10th grade classes at Ulthi East High School to declare their gender identity, expression, assigned sex, and sexual and emotional preferences. Yes, a questionnaire to ask 10th graders, how do you identify your gender? Well, you you don't identify. Your gender is determined by your biology. But starting to ask students about their sexual and emotional preferences, who they want to sleep with and have sex with, you know, I mean, this type of crap, this is what gets parents really ticked off. And this does provide a brief clarity for the media, where they're afraid that the uh, that the Republicans are going to be seen as the party of parents. Now, if they get seen as the party of parents, it is oh, the Democrats know that they're over, you know, because um, parents versus single or childless adults, the single and childless adults are far fewer than parents. And seeing what the schools are doing, what they are teaching, the hateful, disgusting filth that is being promoted in the schools, well, that may have gone a long ways towards motivating the outcome of this election, not white supremacy, not racism. You know, and we see this all the time in elections, where the Democrats lose, and their entire campaign was, "Look at my skin color," and, or if it's a white Democrat, "Oh, I'm the only non-racist running in this election," and they always try to just run a campaign that is just about accusing their opponents of being racist and uh, homophobic and all of that. Whereas Republicans, when they run for election, They run on actual issues, on the substance of the issues, on the concerns of the constituency. Now, yes, sometimes the Democrats do win because of, you know, the fake news and the online censorship and, you know, all of that, you know, the people who are just low information voters, you know, who don't have a clue what's going on. Or they're just so mindless, they just vote Democrat and they don't have any idea what the issues are. But when the race does get defined as the issue, Republicans win. Now, I know one of the analysis about Virginia is, you know, Trump, you know, uh, did Virginia win because Trump wasn't involved in it or, you know, because Trump came out and endorsed them? Everyone's trying to figure out how Trump played a part in Virginia. Now, here's my analysis because I know Trump didn't go in and campaign very hard. Now, whether that's because he didn't really have a whole lot of belief in the Republican candidate, or if it's because of other issues, such as marketing intelligence. I mean, when you go off and you take a look at an endorsement from Trump, in some areas of the country, it will be very helpful. In other areas, not so much. Just like when you take a look at Obama going around and trying to help and campaign for Democrats. In some areas of the country, that really is helpful for the Democrats. In other areas of the country, that is very damaging and campaign suicide. You got to know the audience. You got to know the audience here. And so if Obama were to go into a deep red state and campaign for a Democrat, that Democrat is sure to you know, lose right then and there. If a Republican president goes into a deep blue state, And campaigns for a Republican, well, that likely is going to kill that Republican's campaign. But then we take a look at what happened in Virginia, which I think is the smart marketing strategy, you know, because Virginia is not very much a, you know, Trump state, you know, a pro Trump or filled with a bunch of Trump supporters. I mean, we know it is what it is. And so we take a look at the marketing that and the campaign that Trump did go off to help with. He gave the endorsement the Republican accepted the endorsement, but didn't really do a whole lot in talking about Trump. He didn't make the campaign about Trump and Trump's endorsement of him. Trump did ha- hold an event, uh, I believe it was just via phone or uh, video, did hold an event promoting the Republican candidate, but the Republican candidate did not show up there himself. So he got the Trump endorsement. He got Trump You know, coming in and motivating, you know, the Trump supporters in that state, but was able to also then, you know, keep a slight bit of a distance, which was really smart because you got Trump motivating and rallying up the Trump supporters in that state, but was able to make it so that your opponent can't make Trump the issue of the election, you know, by not actually participating in that event. So it's a new way that I see of marketing. If you're, you know, the former Republican president and you're wanting to go off and help a Republican candidate in a state that is deep blue, in which you campaigning together would be hurtful to that Republican because it's a very deep blue state. So instead of going off and campaigning together, they held separate events, somewhat keeping their distance so that they could get the Trump voters without turning off the anti Trumpers in a deep blue state. And so people trying to go off and now and do an analysis, this is a new way to campaign post Trump, where you somewhat accept it, but you don't go all in, you know, Trumpian. I just see this as, hey, this was just a smart marketing strategy. You got the Trump supporters without alienating the anti Trump. You took away the ammunition in a deep blue state of associating the Republican candidate With Trump and trying to make Trump the issue versus the actual real issue. So I mean that's just kind of my analysis there of how Trump, you know, was able to go in and help in a deep blue state without making the campaign about him. How he was able to go off and do separate campaigning from the Republican candidate's campaign, and I believe that is the true model to be going forward if you're in a Republican area with a lot of Trump supporters, yes, Trump should be out there on the campaign sharing a stage with you. But if you're in a deep blue area that is full of a bunch of anti-Trump, then you do the, then you keep the campaign separate from Trump. Trump can still come in, motivate the Trump supporters that are in the state without being directly associated with the campaign that would turn away the anti-Trump. So, I, I see that as kind of the model, which is really in essence, when you take a look at it, it just means know your audience. You know, don't bring in someone that the audience for that particular area would have a negative reaction to. I, I, it's just marketing. Know your audience and how to market to that audience. You now, the Democrats haven't figured that out as they keep bringing Obama out to certain areas that are very anti Obama. Now, of course, the Democrats, you know, having control of the House, having control of the Senate, and the fraudulent control of the White House, remarkably still can't get much done. Uh, For whatever reason, in uh, the post-Trump era, the Borg hive mind that has defined the Democrat Party has broken down. They're not able to come together cohesively like they used to, because you got, you know, the far left, which is being labeled as the never enough caucus, you know, it wants to go much further than what the country would actually allow. And the long-term Democrats realize this. you know, that we can't go too overboard. And so there's a lot of infighting that is going around here between those who are in areas where you could just put a D on a glass of water and get elected versus those who actually have to compete to get elected. And they don't have enough of a majority to provide safe cover for those who have to compete for reelection and still be able to get things done and so there's a lot of infighting and now there's being the labeled the never Enough caucus, and so Democrats are getting in their own way and it's interesting as some of the Democrats are trying to beg the Republicans to vote with the Democrats on a particular bill or a particular issue in order to be able to get it passed and the Republicans, let's face it, they have no incentive. Whatsoever to help the Democrats pass the agenda of the Democrat Party. Especially when the Democrats keep coming out and calling all of the Republicans evil, racist, and white supremacist, horrible, garbage people that want to put y'all back in chains. Right? So they keep call- trashing over the Republican Party, you know, trashing their character because the Democrats can't debate ideas. And then the Democrats, unable to come together. And agreement and get anything done are now coming to the Republicans going, hey, can you help us? By the way, I know you're a horrible, evil, racist, white supremacist, but can you piss off your own constituency to help us get this thing passed? And luckily, though, the Republicans so far are saying, we have no incentive to help you. We're just going to sit back here. And if you want to pass this disastrous reconciliation bill, you're going to have to do so all by yourself which means each one of your members are going to have to be on the record on how they voted. And the Democrats, they don't want to be on the record of how they voted. They want cover. They want some of their uh, members to have cover to be able to say they voted against something that they know is going to be unpopular in their state and so forth. And the Republicans are just not giving them that cover. And so the Democrats are getting understandably frustrated. They can't agree and the Republicans are like, hey, you want to raise the debt ceiling? You're going to have to do that yourself, you know, and, which is a very hard vote for them to take, you know, uh, you know, on a party line vote. If it's bipartisan vote, then it's easy to sell. You know, it's easy to get away with, hey, you know, this was bipartisan. We both agreed that this needed to be done. If it's done only on a party line vote, well, how that reflects on the campaign trail as inflation continues to go up as people's purchasing power continues to decrease, as the economy gets devastated, it's not the result of both parties. It's all on the back of the Democrats, and they know it, which is why they're begging Republicans to help vote with them so they can say it's bipartisan, so they don't have responsibility for the outcome. Now, whether Republican rhinos like Mitt Romney and such are going to cross over and help the Democrats, I don't know. But right now, Mitch McConnell's stance should be for all of the disastrous bills that the Democrats want to pass is, you want to do it? You're going to do it without a single Republican vote. That way, it's not bipartisan. It's all on you for the disastrous result. Now, moving on away from the election coverage, I do want to point out that the Rittenhouse trial is going on. And I know we all know what actually happened, that the media's false narrative, that he went out there and committed murder. I mean, he was engaged in self-defense, and he was only trying to help in a community that was being ravaged by left-wing violence and riots. You know, he was attacked after putting out a dumpster fire and that he had to defend himself. And of course, the best way to defend yourself is to have a gun. I mean, the gun is supposed to be a deterrent in and of itself, but he was attacked. now. The only thing I really want to go off and say about this on this episode is the judge warns the jury about sloppy reporting by the media. Think about this. The media's credibility is so low. They've been caught lying and gaslighting and engaged in propaganda for so long that now, during a trial, or during jury selection at least, judges are having to issue warnings to the jury that they can't believe or trust the reports that they saw in the media and that they are going to have to go through and actually look at the evidence and the testimony and judge for themselves so the wisconsin judge presiding over the kyle rittenhouse murder trial being reported from just the news warned potential jurors tuesday to be wary of news reports about the trial saying journalists have been irresponsible and sloppy according to the epic times kenosha county circuit judge Bruce Schroeder expressed his concerns on the first day of testimony in the trial. I'm not bashing anybody, but I am going to talk about what you need to do, what you need to be thinking about if you are picked to hear this case, and how much reliance you can put on things that may just be sloppy, which is the vast amount of it. So you already have a judge trying to go out there and warn the jury hey, you know, the media is not what it used to be. It's not. The credible, reliable sources that it used to be. There's a lot of sloppy reporting. There's a lot of gaslighting, a lot of spinning, you know. And so just seeing that the media has just sank so low that judges are having to provide warnings before a trial about just how bad and inaccurate the media is, is a telling sign for the time. Okay. Now, another thing here is that we see that the purging of our military continues. The Democrats are trying to purge anybody who is loyal to the Constitution and the idea of freedom and liberty. An Air Force diversity officer bid for religious exemption from VAX mandate cost her a plum job. So, uh, Brandi King, you know, told uh, news outlets over a period of weeks, her superior badgered her about whether she would seek a religious exemption and urged her not to do so. So they're targeting a woman in the Air Force and even suggested she'd lose her prestigious assignment in the Air Force chief of staff's new diversity program if she followed through with an exemption request. So they're telling her, you know, you need to get the vaccine. Don't you dare try and seek a religious exemption. And if you do, you could be fired. The 19-year service member said she was also threatened that she would be court-martialed and dishonorably discharged if she sought a religious exemption and it was denied, which was denied last month in a blanket letter. So they didn't even consider her religious. They just have an automatic denial going off. So you must get the vaccine. Don't you dare try and get an exemption. If you do, you will be fired. You could be court-martialed, dishonorably discharged. And by the way, what we're not telling you is that every uh, exemption request is just automatically denied. It's not even being reviewed by an actual person. It's just automatic denials no matter what. So King said she was terminated from the diversity department for refusing the vaccine, even though she had tested positive for the COVID-19 antibodies from previous infections. So not only... Do we have everything that we've discussed so far? But she already has better protection than the vaccine because she has natural immunity from the coronavirus. So she doesn't even need the vaccine because her natural immunity is much better than the vaccine itself. Now, of course, the Air Force is coming out realizing that what they have done is illegal and unconstitutional, is trying to spin what they did. And they're trying to say, no, 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 we didn't, you know, uh, Terminator for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine or for seeking a religious exemption. No, no, no. We didn't fire her for that, even though that's what we were threatening to do all along. No, no, no. What we did wasn't a crime. It was, it was because it was the end of the fiscal year. That that's their excuse. No they're stating that no military order issued by the Air Force Reserve Command. Have been canceled due to requests for religious accommodations for COVID 19 vaccine. The service said in a statement By nature of the Air Force Reserve structure, orders are oftentimes temporary and end at the end of the fiscal year. So even though they threatened to fire her, threatened to court martial her, threatened to dishonorably discharge her if she didn't get the vaccine, that's not why they ultimately fired her when she refused to get the vaccine. No, no, no. It was just that the fiscal year expired, and therefore the orders uh, for her assignment automatically expired with it. You know, and this is the game the Democrats try to play. They engage in a whole bunch of illegal behaviors, and then they try and throw crap up against the wall whenever they are caught to try and provide a justification as to why it's legal for them to do everything that they were threatening to do if the person didn't do what they wanted them to do. So all the prior threats and the fact that they went through on their threats doesn't matter because they claim that there was some sort of legal justification, non-related, even though what they did was exactly what they were threatening to do if she didn't comply. Hmm, seems suspect. And while our military is being gutted, and while our military is being used as social experiment for, you know, LGBT and transgender and all this inclusivity, you know, a crap which is just co word for the Marxist takeover, while our military is being decimated by the democrats, China is building up their military with stolen technology from our private industries and from our government quite frankly, and are building a military that is going to be on par pretty soon with the US military. Now we can take a look at Total numbers between active and reserves, and you know we the people as militia, and yes, we still outnumber them. But technologically, the Chinese military is building up and building up rapidly, while our military is being decimated by the Democrats who believe the military is their little plaything. And so there's going to be a lot of problems. I can see China you know being the next military threat, the you know China. Being the catalyst for World War III and so forth, and the United States is not going to be prepared for it. Just like you know, World War II, we, you know, our military had gotten soft, complacent. We had it too, so good for so long; they weren't really doing anything, and then we were completely unprepared for getting attacked at Pearl Harbor. And because our military had been so weakened, so gutted even though we ended up entering the war, we got our butts handed to us in the first year of that war because we didn't have the military capability. It took us time to get the manufacturing up, the equipment built, the tanks built, and all of that, and to get it shipped overseas. Now, once we had everything built up and ramped up and everything, the war turned around and we kicked ass and took names. But it was the fact that our military had been pretty much weakened, ignored, and and gone soft that allowed for that first year of World War II and the surprise attack to go so bad. Now, luckily, we were able to turn it around. But it is really, really shocking. It is really disgusting to see that while China is building up their military forces and are starting to build a world class military that the democrats are destroying our military weakening the country which i guess is on par with everything else about the democrat party their hate america agenda the democrats would be celebrating if our country was overthrown the constitution was overthrown our government was overthrown and you know and we got to uh, and they got to install a china like government a north korea like government where they had ultimate power. The Democrats would be celebrating the collapse of the United States because they hate the country, because they hate liberty and freedom, because they want to be able to dictate to everybody every aspect of their life. You know, they crave all of that power and control. So, yeah, just add that on to all the other treasonous activities that the Democrats have been engaged in to purposely collapse and destroy the country. All right, so that's it uh, for this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for listening in. Uh, Don't forget to leave me a rating and review. Share this around on social media, wherever it's not censored. And I will be back again soon.